All right, Exodus chapter 13. Exodus chapter 13. Exodus 13. We'll be preaching on why, why the wilderness. Why the wilderness? We come out of chapter 12, and I did not exhaust chapter 12. Uh, chapter 12, we focus on redemption and uh, that lamb there and preached on the blood uh, and the blood. And it is a perfect picture of justification. It is a picture and a type, and we know that because of the completed Word of God. And it's a picture of salvation because without the blood of the lamb, and we're talking about Jesus Christ, you're not going to enter into heaven. No man can get into the presence of God without the blood of Christ being shed. And then you receiving Christ. And we kind of got in there. The Holy Spirit got into that. And he pulled that phrase, consume the whole lamb. And there's a lot of people that want to consume the parts of the gospel that they like. And then they want to throw out the other parts and he was clear to say that the head's got to be eaten with the feet and the tail and the things kept together with the gospel most people they don't want Jesus to be the head over them they don't want him to be Lord that's why they don't want to eat the head they don't want a new master over them they just want fire insurance paid up and that's would not get you into the presence of God. You don't get to pick the parts you like and throw out the parts you don't like. You're not going to bargain with God. Uh, uh, God's very clear, precise, and He says, this is what you got to do, this is what's your problem, and this is what you got to do to fix it. And you don't come in and say, well, I'll do half of that and cherry pick it. Years ago, we had, uh, uh, we, we'd work and we'd try to bring itemization to the estimates. And that is a dangerous thing because clients then want to cherry pick. And they'll cherry pick the things that are in their mind that are the most important. And then they'll leave other things that, well, I don't want them. When the whole price, the total price involved all the individualized items. And they begin to cherry pick. And so you had to be able to work your way around that. And they, people think that they'll cherry pick Christ and cherry pick the gospel. And that's just not going to work for you. All right, Exodus 13. Now, now we're going to deal with identity. Your identity in Christ. And you're, we're beginning to work on identity. Christian identity starts here in chapter 13, onwards up to about chapter 20 through Exodus. Your Christian identity, where God brings you out to begin to train you. And yes, here we can find discipleship again, where you sit down and you're taught the things that God would have you learn that are the fundamental uh, milk doctrines that you are going to need and that there are the building blocks on which you're going to build upon in this Christian life. Verse 1 in Exodus 13. And the Lord spake unto Moses, saying, Sanctify, it's right there in our passage, Sanctify unto me all the firstborn. Whatsoever openeth the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. And Moses said unto the people, 
Remember this day in which he came out from Egypt out of the house of bondage. For my strength of hand, the Lord brought you out from his place. There shall no leavened bread be eaten. We're seeing wonderful types here. We're seeing that, he says, you need to remember the day that you were redeemed. And I hope every one of you remembers the day that you received Christ as your personal Savior. Uh, That's a day of remembrance. It's a day of memorial. And then he says, make sure that you eat unleavened bread unleavened bread leaven is a type of sin so he wants you to begin to immediately work on sanctification this day came ye out in the month abib it's the new beginning and we could have preached along those lines the new beginning the day of remembrance but I'm too hard-headed, and other people have preached on that. And it shall be when the Lord shall bring thee into the land of the Canaanites, and the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, which he swear unto thy fathers to give thee a land flowing with milk and honey, that thou shalt keep this service in this month, seven days. Thou shalt eat unleavened bread, and in the seventh day shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days, and there shall no leavened bread be seen with thee, neither shall there be leaven seen with thee in all thy quarters. Now this chapter is important because it helps you with that chapter over there in Acts where Herod is celebrating Easter and the Bible says during the days of unleavened bread. That is not a misprint in your King James Bible. Herod was not a Christian. He was a pagan. And yes, he was celebrating Easter, whereas the children of God and Christians celebrated the Passover. And thou shalt... Show thy son in that day, saying, This is done because of that which the Lord did unto me when I came forth out of Egypt. And thou shalt be for a sign unto thee upon thine hand, and for a memorial between thine eyes, that the Lord's law may be in thy mouth. For with a strong hand hath the Lord brought thee out of Egypt. Thou shalt therefore keep this ordinance in his season from year to year. Now, let me skip down to verse 17. You get context. Verse 17, And it shall come to pass when Pharaoh had let the people go, that God led them not through the way of the land of the Philistines. Although that was near. He says that was the short route to the land of Canaan. For God said, Lest preadventure the people repent when they see war. And they returned to Egypt. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness of the Red Sea. And the children of Israel went up harnessed out of the land of Egypt. And Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For he had straightly sworn the children of Israel saying, God will surely visit you and you shall carry up my bones away hence with you. And they took their journey from Sokoth and encamped in Etham. In the edge of the wilderness, and the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of a cloud to lead them the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light to go by day and night. He took not away the pillar of the cloud by day, nor the pillar of fire by night from before the people. Let us pray. 
Our gracious Father, we come and Lord, help us this morning. Uh, Lord, uh, help us to be attentive to the Word of God. Help us not to have distractions. Uh, clear up my mind. Anoint my lips with holy oil. Let the Holy Spirit speak through me. Souls are hanging in the balance. Lord, people are sitting and they're wondering and they're, they're, they're looking for fulfillment in life. And let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God show them the way of Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Now, a wilderness. Of course, you see, I didn't put up a picture of an American wilderness. Uh, uh, this is a Middle Eastern wilderness. Was it the same wilderness they were in? I, I don't know. But a wilderness is a place uncultivated and uninhabited by human beings as a whole. Here the Lord begins by commanding Moses to sanctify the firstborn. That means to set aside for a holy purpose. That's what the word sanctify means. It is a biblical word, and it's a word that you will find throughout the word of God. And yes, that's part of the gospel. Uh, when you get saved and you consume the whole gospel, the whole counsel of God, sanctification is going to be part of that process. And it's a sign that God, because of the blood atonement and the blood has been applied, that you've been set free from the bondage of sin and the bondage of the devil. And God begins to work in your life and do great things. And the sanctification is one of those things. And I find people, they don't want to put off the form of Egypt. They want to run around looking like Egypt. They got all of Egypt's jewelry on them. Uh, they got Egypt's smell on them. They got Egypt's clothes on them. And they want to parade around like they're happy because they got fire insurance paid up and they got a little blood applied there so they think, but they love Egypt. Well, that's a problem. Because when you come with Christ, you come all the way. Or you don't come at all. He said, well, I didn't get on that. I didn't get that kind of preaching on my little sermonette this morning. I understand. But this is real church. This is church God's way. This is the Bible. And remember, last week, he says, don't you boil it down. Don't you, don't you infuse a little uh, taste good in the gospel. You serve it roasted with fire. See, man, preacher, you're taking that literally. Yes, because God does not believe in tricking people. God does not believe in manipulating people. The devil manipulates people. Demonic forces manipulate people, but God does not manipulate. You have a free will, and God tells you what you need to do, and you can freely choose yes or no. God doesn't play tricks. Sanctification. This purpose of sanctification was to allow them to remember, verse 3, to memorialize their new beginning. The nation of Israel was God's firstborn. And that's why it said, you take your firstborn. If it's a human, you redeem it with a lamb. If it's an animal... You sacrifice it to me. It's mine. If it's a donkey, we didn't read that part. He says, you either break its neck or you redeem it with a lamb. 
substitution. And that was put down. That's the way God wants it. God's the creator. He's in charge. But he says, this is a type and a picture that you as the nation of Israel are my firstborn. And in all the people on this earth, in all the races, Israel is God's chosen people. They are his firstborn. Say, I need scripture. Exodus chapter 4. 22 says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. God considers Israel his firstborn. I've said this some months back, maybe it's been a year back, that God does not have grandchildren. God has children. If you're saved this morning, you're a son or a daughter of God. You're not a grandchild. You say, why? Why? Well, because grandparents all of a sudden adopt a complete different mentality when it comes to child discipline and child rearing than a mom or dad does. At least that's the natural order of things. And God's not your grandpa. He's your father. And you know how it is with firstborns, don't you? You're harder on the firstborn. You're more critical of the firstborn. Uh, the firstborn endures more hardships. You say, how do you know I'm a firstborn? <laughs> I get a chance. <laughs> no. Dad said, I had to be harder on you. You're just that much more stubborn. Like, oh, oh, man. Okay. <laughs> But you are. You're more critical of the firstborn. Uh, uh, the Bible says that the firstborn is a representative of the strength. That's your strength there. And God views Israel as his firstborn. So God begins to teach them their, their identity in Christ. They have been redeemed. God just brought them out of Egypt with a mighty hand. You say, how are you likening that to the church? 1 Corinthians chapter 10. God tells you and gives you that whole process. And then he says, and these were an example to us, the church, today. That's why it's a type. That's why it fits. That's why we can preach it this morning with authority. And that's why our churches are going to hell in a handbasket because they know nothing about life after getting saved because they don't want to open the Old Testament and begin to study it. And see that God cares about your identity. If you think that God doesn't care about your identity and how you live and how you look, what you're actually implying and trying to preach through how you present yourself is that God is not a person. And because he's not a person, he has no personality. And because he don't have a personality, he has no preferences. Hopefully that sinks in. God does have personality. And God does have a preference. And it is our responsibility to study His Word to see what His preferences are. Right now we're seeing that His preference is that we begin to be taught. And we begin to sanctify ourselves. And to learn about Christ. So why the wilderness? Well, it's a place of temptation. The wilderness is going to be a place of temptation. Remember Jesus? 
when he was driven of the Holy Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. So the wilderness is going to be a place of temptation. The wilderness is a place of trial. There's not a lot of food readily available. You're going to have to work real hard for uh, any type of sustenance. Water is not readily available. Remember Christ fasted 40 days and 40 nights. Glad I wasn't there. <laughs> I'd have come out of that a new man. <laughs> and he said he was a hungered. One of the temptations was because he was God. Could he stand up against the lust of the flesh? And he says, turn those stones into bread so you can eat. You're God, aren't you? Oh, but he didn't fall for the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes. But then the wilderness, it's a place of testing. It's a testing about who will you worship, remember? The devil was trying to get Jesus to bow down and worship him. He said, I'll give you the world and all the glories of the kingdoms if you'll just but fall down and worship me. Now, I got news for you. If the devil tempted Christ and Christ had trials in the wilderness, we are not better than God. We're going to have some trials. We're going to have some wilderness time. And when you first get saved, there's going to be a wilderness in your near future. Why the wilderness? I believe this text bears out at least three. I could pull out three. There's probably more. I'll jump out on a limb and say, I guarantee there's more. But I'm limited because of my human ability. But the first one was to protect them. Why the wilderness? Why do I go into the wilderness to protect them? To protect you? I said some months back, sometimes bad things, what we consider bad things happen to us. And we don't understand. And we get down in the dumps about that. But you need to stop and think that God might have you going through this to protect you from having to go through something that's far worse. See, we don't know the future. We can't see it. We can't comprehend it, but God knows it. God has seen it. God's been there and beyond. And because He does love His children... And he does care, he's going to send you by way of the wilderness. He's not going to take you the short route. I think that teaches us that often with God, it's not the easy way. The Christian life is not always the easy way. And one of the, now that I've gotten a little season on me, salt and pepper. <laughs> I can tell that if things are going too easy and there's no opposition, you better stop. Because anytime you're following God and you're doing what God says, you can bank on there going to be some opposition. It's going to be a hard way. Uh, I, I got news for you. Working all week like a dog 
and then getting up and trying to be involved in church full time is not an easy way, is it? That's not easy. I mean, you're tolling out in the field. I, uh, Brother Terry, he farms and he, he'll ride that tractor or, or he'll be working on something. He's sweating. He's, 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 he's hurting. And, and, and I drove by and I seen he was on the tractor last Monday. But I didn't stop. It's my day off. I'm, I ain't going to spend too much time around here. He'll work you to death. He's not fatter than me, so I know he can go farther than me without food. <laughs> I can now, now the problem when you begin to name people now, if I don't name Brother Dennis and say he works hard, you see where you got to be careful of that. Brother Dennis does work hard. He works hard, works a lot of hours. I, I notice I've not volunteered for none of that, have you, Brother Dennis? No. I'm allergic. I start sneezing and all kinds of stuff around that word work. Some of you, and then I sure ain't going to follow behind the ladies. They can outwork a man 10 to 1. Just get over it, get used to it, and let it go on. Let them work. Let them work. Let them work. But then to try to be fully involved in ministry and in the service to God, that ain't the easy way, is it? The Christian life is not about being easy. You know, we get this mind that the Christian life is about us kicked back, drinking iced tea, somebody serving us pancakes and eggs for breakfast, and you never have to go to church, you never have to worry about the batteries dead in the car, and you just get it all right there, because when you get saved, you get a money tree in the backyard. Don't work that way, does it? And so then the devil comes by and says, Hey, if you'll just worship me, I understand you're God's child. I'll give you all the stuff. I'll give you easy life. Hey, that's some temptation, ain't it? But God sends them into the wilderness to protect them. Verse 17. He said, if I'd have took them the short way, the fast track, through the land of Philistine. Now, the Philistines were a warring type people. And they were ready for war. They had trained for war. And Israel had just come out of bondage and slavery. They were not ready for that kind of warfare. Baby Christians are not ready for certain ministries. They're baby Christians. They're not ready for that type of spiritual attack and opposition. They must be protected and they must be discipled and they must discover their identity in Christ. And so God runs them to the wilderness to protect them. You've just been set free from a life of bondage to sin. You've not even discovered yourself in Christ yet, let alone all of a sudden to pick up the Word of God and be able to do spiritual warfare. They had no mind for war. A baby Christian has no mind for spiritual warfare. People don't know how to identify and spot spiritual opposition. Many times it becomes passive, and it's passive-aggressive. And unless you're in the Word of God and spend time with Christ, you can't spot it. But the spiritually mature can. And God's going to protect you. They were still too close to the world, Egypt. I mean, they were familiar it would have been too easy to turn back 
What Do I die by the hand of the Philistines or just go back into Egypt and apologize? All we had to do was help them build their cities. But they fed us. They were too vulnerable to the old life. And God sent them out there to protect them, but to show them God's work. Say, what do you mean by that? Well, they had only known the works of man in Egypt and its magnificence. And they had only seen the greatness of man's wonders in Egypt. That's all they had seen. They had been there 430 years. Now, they had not been slaves that whole time, but at least 300 years. That's a long time. That's longer than America's been a nation. That's a long time, folks. And then there's a verse of Scripture that comes to my mind. There in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, it's a promise. It's a truth that applies to all ages. That God would not put on them more than they could bear. The Bible says, there hath no temptation taken you. They're going in the wilderness. There's going to be temptation there. But such as is common to man. But God is faithful. Who will suffer, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape that you may be able to bear it. You say, oh, great. Then why do I have more on me more than I can bear? Because you didn't read the verse right. God said he wouldn't put on you more than you can bear. But you can put on you more than you can bear. I'm also working on another message. Don't feed the monkeys. That's what I want to preach on. Don't feed the monkeys. We're going to talk about leadership. And other people's problems that they try to saddle you with. That they're not concerned with as long as they got you worrying about it. And we get bogged down. We put on us more than we can bear. That's happened to me a time or two. In these 11 years, I've had folks that had a serious issue crop up with one of their children that they had refused to ever work with or teach them any structure, and they had been let go, and now they were uh, in trouble and had to go to a level two correctional institute. And I spent two or three weeks searching and calling and worrying and trying to find a place for that family's child that their insurance would pay for. It's nobody that's here today. It's been in the early years. All to have them when I did find one. Eh, I don't want to do that. See, what was that? I was feeding their monkey. That responsibility was on their back. That was their problem to worry about. But they had me feeding their monkey. I'll preach on that some other time. My point is, you can put more on you than you can bear. But God will never put on you more than you can bear. And when this old pastor gets bogged down, and I think there's too much on me that I can bear, I really begin to do a self-check to make sure what part God has put on me and what part I've put on myself. And so I don't eliminate my, God's part. I eliminate and start eliminating my part that I've put on myself. 
So don't read that verse and say, well, I just can't make, I just can't make it. I got more on me than I can bear. That verse is not true. That verse is true. God will not put more on you than you can bear. But you can put more on yourself than you can bear. Stop feeding the monkeys. So he sent them into the wilderness to protect them. Verse 18, he sent them into the wilderness to train them. But God led the people about through the way of the wilderness to the Red Sea, and the children of Israel went up harnessed. There's your word. Harnessed. What do you mean? Well, if you're going to harness the horse up, you're going to put some stuff on it. If you're going to harness a soldier up, because he already said they were soldiers, because he said there that he brought them up, their armies, verse 51 of chapter 12. And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Well, you just said they weren't ready for battle. They weren't. They were in training. But when you get saved, God's done enrolled you in his army. You are a soldier of the cross. And according to 2 Timothy chapter 2, uh, you're careful. You've got to be careful not to entangle yourselves into the things and the affairs of this world so much that you don't have time for God. That's somebody putting them more on themselves than they can bear. But he begins the training, which is discipleship, teaching them their identity. You're a soldier, not a slave. Takes on a different perspective. Say, what are you saying? He's reprogramming them. See what are you talking about? They had the programming of sin. They had the programming of slavery. That takes a particular mindset. And they weren't ready. And they did not have the programming for Christian life. They did not have the programming and the mind for warfare yet. You talk to anybody about war. You go to this Bible about war. He says... The battle is not given to the strongest always. That's right. You read some history. Alexander the Great many times was outnumbered, outgunned. He had a smaller army, but it was a well-trained army. And he was in the cavalry. And he got many great battles. He won because of that. It's in the mind. The mindset. It's in the mind. The devil wants to attack the mind, so God must reprogram it. They had been in bondage to Pharaoh. That's type of Satan. Satan had provided what he thought they needed. And they had served Pharaoh's agenda. He was building treasure cities. That's what the nation of Israel was doing. Building treasure cities. There in Exodus 1, verse 11, they had built the city of Ramses and built the city of Python. And I'm sure other cities. They might have had a hand in building the pyramids. I don't know. I just That's my mind. That's my personal thinking on that. I've not really ever spent the time. I, I don't care about that too much. Other than I, they were building cities. That, the Bible's for sure on that. 
And so that was their mindset. And let me tell you this. When you were lost and you were serving the devil, the devil had you doing what you were doing to benefit the world's agenda and his agenda. You were building wealth for the devil. I'm always amazed when people get saved they don't want to build wealth for God. There's something wrong with that. That means they've not received the reprogramming. I see this with people that come out of other cults and religions. They need to be reprogrammed. You say, how do you do that? The Word of God, the proper teachings. They don't want to be reprogrammed. There's a problem. God takes them into the wilderness to reprogram their thinking. To disciple them, they went up harnessed. That speaks of armor. It speaks of rank and file. That, that's what that means. That means God's about order. They went up out of Egypt in rank and file. It wasn't just a mad mob running in front of a tsunami. It was rank and file. God's always about order. God's always about decent and modesty and structure. But that's not the programming of the world. It speaks of marching. Rank and file means marching. The first thing they teach you in the military, and you all that have been in the military, you have to correct me. But my dad was. What I remember is they're going to teach you how to march. They do a lot of marching. You say, why? They want you to march and file and begin to work as a unit, work together, teamwork. Speaks of discipline. They got to take out of your mind before they can put, they got to break you down, they said. Yeah. God's reprogramming them. Speaks of discipline. Rank and file. Harnessed, all in one little word. But then the Lord took them into the wilderness to lead them. That's what he said there. And verse 20 and 21 and 22, that the Lord went before them. He was teaching them to look up. That pillar of a cloud, he says the pillar of a cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night to give them light. It was to train them to look up. The Bible says in Colossians 3 verse 1, set your affection on things above, not on things here below. And they had been so focused on the things below and man's wonders. And in chapter 14, we're going to see they begin to look behind them. Before you can look behind you, you've got to stop looking at Christ. They look behind, they see Pharaoh, the type of Satan come up, coming up out of Egypt, the world after them. And I got news for you, new converts. The devil's coming up out, out of Egypt after you. Your life, when people get saved, will probably get worse before it got, gets better. Because the devil just don't want to loose you. There's one thing consistently that you will find when God begins to cast devils out of people. Bondage. He says before the devil goes out, he tears them. Next time you're reading through that, he says, and he tore him, and he tore him, and he tore him. <laughs> 
The devil's going to try to do some tearing up when you get saved. And he's going to come roaring up out of there after you. That's why it's better to get saved earlier rather than later. Now, if you are later and you're not saved, you need to get saved. But we encourage children to come to know Christ at an earlier age. So that process is not so extreme. Because if you've lived your life in the world, in Egypt, and then you totally turn your life over to Christ, the devil don't take that sitting down. And he will tear things. If you take your focus, and that's what he's trying to do, is to change your focus off of God to get your eyes on him. So God wanted to lead them. He wanted to separate them from all other voices but His. Let me give you some scripture on that. Numbers 3 verse 14, And the Lord spake unto Moses in the wilderness. God speaks in the wilderness. When you got the noise of the world going on around you, it's going to be hard to hear the voice of God. I can give you scripture on this, and then I'll give you some personal experience on this and what I'm getting ready to say. First Kings, I want to say chapter 19. Remember when Elijah has his meltdown, has depression, and he finally runs to the, the cave. And there's a phrase there. Because God has a fire, God has a, a tornado, an earthquake. And he says, and God was not in all that. And then all of a sudden he says, and there was a still, small voice. He says it was God's voice. God's voice is a still, small voice. And God leads us into the wilderness. One, to get our focus on him. But two, so we can hear the voice of God. That's why I always encourage you, if you pray... While you're praying, you need to get alone with God. You need alone time. Now, that's on top of your prayer time if you're married with your spouses and so on and so forth. Now, I don't do a whole lot of that. It's, it changes things when you pray with your spouse. Your spouse gets to see a vulnerable side of you. I encourage that too because it'll make your... It'll make your marriage a lot closer. I didn't say I didn't do it. I just don't do a lot of it. But I do do a lot of personal praying. And I got news for you. When I'm praying, if you got loud music going on, you got all these other distractions, you are not going to hear the still small voice. It takes time to tune into. It takes time to be able to discern the impressions of the Holy Spirit of God on your heart. And if there is distraction, you must be alone. Christ went alone. He always got off alone. And then there was times he took his disciples with him. But you need alone time. You need a wilderness. So you can hear the voice of God. And then he says that he brought them into the wilderness to be their light. Say, why? 
because there's going to be times in your life when there's darkness. There's going to be times in your life, even as a Christian, that you're not going to know what to do. And you're going to feel like you're in a dark room you can't see. And all you can do is try to feel your way. You, you hear people say, well, I feel like this. Why, why are they doing that? Because there's not really clear light. Now, sometimes it's because they have not been trained and taught to look for the light. And if their focus is not up, then they won't see the light. But there will be times of darkness in the wilderness. And God takes us to the wilderness to be our light, to guide us, to lead us, to train us, but to protect us. I don't know in here if you're in a wilderness or not. If you're a new Christian, you probably are. Being in the wilderness is not always fun. We're going to get into that. There's not a lot of food there. God's going to have to feed you. I'll throw this in there in closing. God's going to teach them that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. That's why the wilderness. God wants to teach you that if you have God and God has you, that's all you need. Now that's easy preaching. It's hard living. But that is practical Christianity. It's easy preaching, hard living, that God is all we need. We're too quick to look back into Egypt. We're too quick to look back to Pharaoh and say, you know, all he wanted me to do was work. I can work, but I'll have all the food I can eat, and I'll have my weekends off. I'm throwing that in there. But <laughs> I know how tricky the devil is. Why the wilderness? To protect you. There's something worse out there that God didn't want you to deal with because you're not ready for it yet. Why the wilderness? God wants to train you. He wants to disciple you. He wants to reprogram you. Why the wilderness? God wants to lead you. It's not going to be the easy way. It's not the quick way. But this Bible says it is the right way because it's God's way. Let's all stand this morning.